Welcome to Warriors Off Court, San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and as always, I'm joined today by my boss, assistant sports editor and former Warriors beat writer, Janie Hugh. So, Janie, here we are Friday afternoon back at the San Francisco Chronicle newsroom. I'm here for a nice extended homestand. We're sandwiched between a couple games. Uh, Earlier today, went out to Warriors practice, talked to Steve Kerr and the guys. And, um, you know, as always, I feel like I say it every week, but there's always things going on on this beat. And, you know, it's the doldrums of early February, sure. Uh, this is called the grind of the NBA season. You know, that those few weeks right before the All-Star break, the players are tired, the beat writers are tired, everyone's kind of in the same boat. But um, there's still plenty of things to write about, plenty of things to talk about. Um, yesterday was obviously the trade deadline, and I thought it was a pretty fascinating day, um, at least as fascinating as it could be from a Warriors perspective, given that the Warriors didn't make a move. Uh, which I completely expected. I knew that if they were going to make a move, it was going to be something that was really minor. Um, they, you know, Bob Myers talked to us last night. He basically said, you know, they looked into options. They talked to a bunch of teams in the league, and there just wasn't anything that excited them. There wasn't anything that moved the needle for them. And the Warriors are in a very enviable position in that they don't really have a lot of glaring weaknesses. I mean, the the big thing that everyone kept talking about leading up to the trade deadline was the Warriors need to get better three-point shooting from their bench, which that is such a niche thing. I mean, that's such a subtle little nuanced thing. The, the, fact, that, the fact that that is what people are bringing up speaks to the embarrassment of riches that is this team because other teams they're saying okay they need to find defensive players because they don't play defense or a they need scoring so they need someone who actually can make shots like the Warriors three-point shooting from the bench and if you actually look at it which Bob Myers mentioned last night their three-point shooting from the bench hasn't been good the past three years really and it's partly because they don't really need it to be I mean when you have three of the best shooters in the world in your starting lineup you don't necessarily need to, to hit a high clip from from beyond the arc from your bench. What you need from those guys is to handle the ball well, not make mistakes, and play solid defense, which, generally speaking, they have guys that can do that. So, uh, obviously, the big name that was bandied about was, was JaVale McGee. He obviously st- uh, stayed put. Um, now the question uh, heading into this next week for them is, are they going to be active on the buyout market? And... Um, you know, the anyone who's familiar with the NBA knows the buyout market is usually filled with guys, be, aging veterans, guys who are bought out their, of their contracts who kind of want one last go around. And the name that keeps getting mentioned there is Joe Johnson out of Utah. Janie, I'm sure you're familiar with Joe Johnson. He was in his prime really probably when you were covering the league. Um, he, he had a nice little stretch there. Actually, I have a trivia question for you. Um, how many times has Joe Johnson – been an all-star Ooh, that's a tough one um three it's it's more really it's significantly more <laughs> it's seven wow really? which which is crazy right because uh joe johnson is a guy who you wouldn't necessarily think would be a perennial all-star i mean seven is hall of fame territory i mean 
guys who are getting in the Hall of Fame often have that many all-star appearances, and he's probably not an all- a Hall of Famer, but he had a really consistent career, averaged well over 20 points per game year in and year out for those Atlanta teams. And uh, he's had a nice career, and he's actually still – a solid contributor even for this Utah team. He's averaging over seven points per game, still shooting at a very high clip from three. I think he potentially could be a really nice fit as a, you know, a scorer, complimentary piece off the bench, kind of filling that that Nick Young role, even though you still have Nick Young around because Nick Young has been a bit inconsistent. I think he brings more to the table than Nick Young does, and you could you could probably get him for the cheap. Um, what, do you, what do you think? Do you think – Joe Johnson's a guy who would make sense on this team. Joe Johnson, he shoots, he scores, he um, he'll he will give you some of that kind of instant offense that you might need. Um, I think you know going back to where you started from in terms of the Warriors needing um, a very niche uh, help in terms of three point shooting off the bench. That's really hashtag first world problems yeah. <laughs> that we have here. Um, I can see him. I think he could he could have a role. I it it depends. Um, you know when when you look at the Warriors, it's I think that they they brought in some guys uh, this off season. Nick uh, Nick Young, Zaza Pachulia that might have you know maybe early on in the season it seemed like um, Zaza was kind of ha- had some time and, and was finding his role and you know cutting the basket, getting those easy shots. Um, and it's it's been very up and down. I don't think that the bench some of these signings have, have worked out as well as the Warriors might have assumed. And Nick Young, a guy that, you know, Draymond and some of his teammates kind of campaigned for, oh, he's going to fit in here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we're the team that kind of embraces these guys with character, but they can, you know, they, they have a presence, they can score, they can, you know, do this and yeah. that. Um, and it hasn't worked out as well as it has in, in years past. I mean, do you, do they miss guys like Ian Clark? And what, I mean, like the, there hasn't, I mean, how, how do you see it from this from last year to this? I think year? it's a little bit overblown. I mean, I think they the the bench has been inconsistent, especially of late. I think most of the season they've given you pretty much what you need. People like to look at the overall bench scoring numbers, which I think is deceiving because the reality is you don't need this team to this. You don't need a lot of scoring from your bench when you have, you know, some of the best scorers in the league in your starting lineup. I mean, just from a from a pragmatic standpoint, you can't get a lot of scoring from your bench. Um, but I think if you're looking at it on an individual basis, I think David West has been phenomenal. I think Omer Caspi has been better than you could have hoped. I think Jordan I think Jordan Bell has been better than you could have hoped. Yes, he's injured right now. And I actually think that's part of what we're seeing right now is I think they're missing him. I think Kevon Looney has kind of reached his ceiling already this season. And he's kind of hitting that wall where he's struggling to be productive. And if, if – Jordan Bell was healthy right now. They would just plug him in there, and I think that would give this group a nice little jolt. What we're really talking about here is two guys. We're talking about Nick Young and Patrick McCaw. And Patrick McCaw has struggled this season. His actual numbers aren't that bad. His shooting percentage is decent. He's he's averaging around the same minutes he did last season. He's averaging around the same points as he did last season, which was which everyone thought was a pretty good rookie season given that he was a second-round pick. Uh, but but anyone who actually watches the games can tell that he is lacking confidence. He's not sure of himself. He uh, he's not taking wide open shots, which is completely understandable when you share a lineup with some of the best shooters in the world. 
you, you why why shoot that shot when you could when you could let Clay Thompson shoot that shot? But to be successful in this offense, you need to take wide open shots, and he hasn't been doing that. And I thought it was really interesting the other day when he actually asked to go to the G League. Right. Steve Kerr said no one's ever done that. No one's ever come to him and say, "Hey," said, "Hey, can I go down to Santa Cruz?" And I think it said two things. It said, it showed an amount a, a crazy amount of self awareness on Patrick McCaw's part. To say, hey, my confidence is kind of shot right now. I think I could benefit from going to the G League and playing at a lower level and getting significant minutes and being able to play through my mistakes. And it also just reinforced how shot his actual his confidence actually is. I mean, he is a shell of himself right now. And you wouldn't you wouldn't do something like that unless you really felt like you had an issue. And uh, you know, it's good that he, he noticed that. I think this will help him. But it also, if you're a Warriors fan, you're a little concerned that, is this guy fragile? Is he, is he you know, what, what's going on here? Right. Um, well, I think it's a good sign that he's willing to take that chance to go down there and work out his game, get some minutes in. Um, you don't see it. Same thing with, you know, guys in uh, Major League Baseball and going down to AAA, right? It's not yeah. something that the guys want to do. Um, it's got to be really humbling, especially having been in the league now a couple of years, um, to be able to go back down and, and, you know, you're all of a sudden, you know, you go in and you're kind of like the big man on campus, except you're there because, like, you know, you flunked out of the, the you know, you're great, you, you <laughs> right, know, right. it's like, it's not, you know, it, no, no matter what, it's, it's, uh, it's a demotion of sorts, right? But I give him credit for taking the initiative to go ahead and say, hey, something's not right. I got to figure out what's wrong. The only way that I can figure out that is to kind of play through it um, and get in some minutes and, you know, hopefully kind of get that oomph going again. Yeah. And I think if, if he can get back on track, that's definitely going to help out this team long-term. I think he's a guy who could be a factor come the playoffs. He actually had some really nice games during the playoffs last season, uh, came up big in, in a couple of really critical games for them. And that gave him an added boost. You know, when you already have guys like, like Andre Iguodala, who's struggling right now, Nick Young, mm-hmm. who's struggling, those guys play, you know, the same kind of swingman role he has. You, you can't have all three of those guys struggling at the same time. And that's what you've had in games at times this season, and that's really hurt them. And Andre Guadalla, to me, um, has been one of the more perplexing stories this season in that you look at he, his shooting percentage, he, he has lost confidence. I mean, he's not even shooting the ball because he's old enough and, and wise enough to know that if he has no confidence, just, there's just not necessarily a point. But that doesn't necessarily help this team i mean he's shooting i don't know about the old enough and wise enough i mean you have guys that like you know if let's say step five years from now if he was in a shooting slump you think that he would keep shooting or not shooting well that's the difference between steph and andre andre knows himself and andre knows that when he should shoot and when he shouldn't i'm not i'm gonna give andre the benefit of the doubt All a little right. bit more than i'm gonna give a patrick mccall the benefit that's of the doubt because i think andre has shown that he knows what he's doing but yeah, no, he's, his shot just isn't there. He's shooting in the low twenties from three point range right now, um, and it hasn't gotten better. And everyone keeps waiting and waiting and waiting. But I I keep believing that come the playoffs, he's going to turn it on. He's going to take it to another gear, and he's at least going to provide that defense that they sorely need from him. His defense has been pretty solid this season. Everyone likes to pay attention to the shooting, but he actually has helped them win games this season. Um, going back real quick to the trade deadline, um, one thing we didn't really get a chance to get into was 
the big storyline was obviously everything the Cavs did. Uh, the Cavs Which was quite completely <laughs> overhauled their roster in one day. And I have to give props to Kobe Altman, the first year GM for the Cavs, because can you imagine, you know, having a job where throughout where your job basically rests on a few really important days of the year. And then you're able to, on one of those most important days of the year, just pull out a flurry of moves. It's not easy to make a move in the NBA. You usually requires weeks of negotiating all these, you know, all this time spent pouring over the numbers and making making the salaries work. And he he pulled out move after move after move yesterday. Uh, and when the dust was finally settled, they uh, they ended up getting rid of six players: Isaiah Thomas, Channing Frye, Dwayne Wade, Jay Crowder, Derek Rose, and Iman Shumpert, and a first round pick to bring back four players: Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance Jr., Rodney Hood, and George Hill. So what happens here is basically. They got younger, yep. and they got more athletic, and they got friendlier. <laughs> you, you look at all, you look at the trades, and and you have to be impressed by what they managed to pull off. Like you said, it's um, it it, it was a team that was going not even they were they not going nowhere. They were going downhill fast. Uh, I mean, it was just a it just by any accounts like a toxic environment. They lost fourteen of their past twenty two games. They, but more importantly than that, they were just a, a full of locker room cancers. They weren't getting along. They're having team meeting after team meeting. It was a soap opera of sorts. And so you knew that they had to make a move or maybe a couple moves, but for them to completely overhaul the roster, I thought it was really gutsy on their part because what ended up happening is you're, you're, you're essentially pressing reboot on a, on a derailed season in hopes that you can you know, make a fourth consecutive NBA Finals and bring back LeBron James. But in doing that, the big move of the day was obviously uh, getting rid of Isaiah Thomas to bring back uh, Clarkson and Larry Nance. And obviously the reason why the Lakers did that was not so much because they wanted Isaiah Thomas, but because it cleared up enough salary cap space on their books for next season so that they could not only bring back, they could not only sign LeBron, but they could also sign Paul George. I, I the, the, the chess match that's going on there uh, specifically with the Cavs and the Lakers is fascinating to me. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. Um, and I, I understand why the Cavs did it. They're, they're not, they're not worrying about next summer yet. They're worrying about winning this season. And their hope is that if they can win this season, LeBron, that'll be enough to bring back, LeBron and if he likes these young guys that he's playing with and it, at the end of the day it doesn't really matter where he goes next season if it's not Cleveland and it's not Cleveland you know that's true from a Cavs standpoint but it, it is when you look at them having potentially cleared the way helped clear the way for LeBron's exit to LA too that's just I, I, I can't believe there hadn't that that had to have been some underlying current a thought that was going no, through definitely there. and when when you know that was the first move that broke yesterday and I was a little confused by that initial move and I actually thought maybe they're just trying to rebuild but then you saw the ensuing moves and you realized oh no they're actually trying to build something now because they're they have all these guys in their prime and guys who but, I think can really help them yeah and let, let's let's go to their doomsday scenario which is if LeBron leaves next year they have a pretty nice core there to build around exactly yeah no exactly I mean and that's I think that's why this was a successful day for them because even if 
objective number one isn't achieved, you're you're still in a much better spot than you were otherwise. I mean, the, all the guys they got rid of were aging veteran guys who didn't really mesh with, with their core and weren't really adding a ton of value. Dwayne Wade, Derek Rose, Channing Fry, those were guys who are well past their prime who – uh, you know, aren't going to be a part of their long-term plans anyway. And I really like, I think Jordan Clarkson's an underrated player. I think, I think Larry Nance Jr. is kind of like a better version of Jordan Bell right now. Like he is, I mean, Jordan Bell could be better than him long-term, but Larry Nance is a guy who can give you significant, meaningful minutes every night and bring that energy. Rodney Hood is a really nice uh, three-point shooter who I think is an underrated two-way guy. He's a, kind of a better version of Jay Crowder. And then George Hill is a veteran point guard who um, I think has got got a bad rap. He kind of had the Sacramento effect, which is you go to Sacramento and people forget about you. Um, but he actually had a really nice season in in Utah last season and was a really key component to a team that you know made the second round of the playoffs and was was surprisingly good last season. So um, and then they can play they can play Clarkson and, and Hill in tandem, and I think. I think even though Isaiah Thomas can score a lot, he just obviously did not fit what that team was trying to do. Was, was His numbers were awful um, and his, since he came back from that hip injury. And more importantly, he he just didn't seem to get along with anyone. Uh, he was openly complaining in almost every post-game press conference about the the team and about Tyron Lou, he called out Tyron Lou the other day and said Tyron Lou needed to get better, and you you can't have that. I mean, if you're actually trying to win this season, it's. I'm trying to think of what the right word here is, but it's it's been kind of just sad to see, uh, just the the high level that he was playing at and that where they had gone with Boston, and then obviously he gets traded uh, to the Cavaliers, um, was injured, and you know, and couldn't mesh, and now he's going to. LA and how that how is that going to work out in terms of you know well I don't think he's in LA's long-term plans at all um I think he'll finish out the season with them and the reality is it probably won't go that well because he probably won't start and he is a guy who notoriously hates coming off the bench um has complained every single time he's ever had to come off the bench and from the, I think Luke Walton's going to be in a tricky situation right. for the rest That's of the season because you have a guy who's a two-time All-Star, was a key component on one of the best teams in the East last season, who it just doesn't make sense to start because he's not going to be in your long-term plans. Lonzo Ball is your point guard of the future. You need to get him minutes. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. The reality is I don't think it matters that much because it's not about this season. It's about the summer and next season. And I don't think Isaiah Thomas will be on this team next season. Right. No, so. I, I guess what I'm just saying is that you have a guy who is kind of at the top of the game, and it's like how quickly they can, how quickly things can change in one year. All of a sudden, you're kind of this extra piece to the side, and then you're going to have to restart over. I think it's, it's just, another kind of. We were talking, I think, on the last pod about Brad Stevens and how incredible that coaching staff is and what they've done. I think it's kind of another example of the 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 genius that is that staff because you look at all these guys that they've worked with and as soon as they leave Boston they struggle right and they kind of become irrelevant again like he they were they made Isaiah Thomas a two-time all-star and then you know Isaiah Thomas was a, a nice scorer his whole career but no one really took him that seriously and then he goes to Boston becomes a two-time all-star and now he's already kind of becoming irrelevant right and then Jay Crowder was a guy who in Boston looked like a stud three and D guy two-way force 
phenomenal role player, goes to Cleveland and suddenly becoming irrelevant again. His his career might be on life support too. So it's interesting. Yeah, no, completely. Um, I want to go back and correct myself with one of these things with recording live. As I meant, uh, I think I said Zaza Pachulia uh, when we were talking about offseason signings and clearly Ben Omri. Uh, yeah, Omri Casper. Yeah. Coming in. Right. Um, yeah. Um, so one thing that uh, storyline that also isn't going away is Draymond and his technical fouls. Um, this is a story that you're writing now for uh, tomorrow's paper. Um, he's up to 14. <laughs> Technicals on the season, two more, and that kicks in the automatic one-game suspension. Um, this reminds me of covering the Stephen Jackson, <laughs> Baron Davis, Jason Richardson, the, the We Believe team, um, and when they were going through their playoff runs, like we were literally keeping – everybody was getting a refresher course in the suspension protocols. How many technicals and how many – like, you know, you're going to get fined X amount, and at this – you know, at 10 technicals or whatever, this kicks in. This is what it, – it, like, it's like a math uh, yeah. <laughs> class here, keeping track of this stuff. Yeah, and Draymond doesn't – need that refresher because he's been in this situation before um he has racked up well over 120k in fines this season already he was he just picked up 50k for inappropriate language toward a female official the other day um aggressive aggressive language toward her and uh it just the hits keep coming for him um he i think he's had an okay season from a playing standpoint but he He's really struggling to, to – it's interesting. I want to say he's struggling to rein in his, his emotions, but I actually don't think he's been worse in that department than than previous years. I just think – I think that the whole idea of him being targeted by the referees is a real thing, and we can, we can dismiss it as much as we want. But, you know, I went back and looked at a lot of the technical fouls that he's gotten this season, and they're – a lot of them don't seem super warranted. You know, he'll, he, there've been times when he won't even say anything to the official and get a technical, uh, you know, he'll, he'll just kind of raise his arms and then get, and get a, get a technical. Um, so I think it's a combination of a new batch of officials who are super wary of him because they've studied mm-hmm. him and they know his reputation, but they've never actually developed a relationship with him. So, you know, it's like when you're a, a new teacher at a school and you take over a class mid mid season or mid mid school year and everyone tells you beware of this kid beware of this kid so as soon as that kid acts out in class detention immediately right you don't have a rapport there you don't have a relationship there to give him any leeway or benefit of the doubt so i think that's what we've seen it's going to be interesting monitoring going forward because like you said he is 14 we still have a couple months till the playoffs and you know he's probably going to be getting suspended toward the end of this regular season and we asked him last night, you know, what are you going to do to try to fix this? And he didn't have an answer. He was mm-hmm. just like, I don't know. I literally don't know. Right. Because he doesn't. He thinks he's doing better, and yet he's still getting technicals. Right. He's probably feeling like, I mean, not that he's ever going to really walk on eggshells, but like anything that I do or even don't do, I'm going to get teed up for. Right. And, you know, it's a tough situation because if you're the Warriors, you don't want him to feel uncomfortable. You don't want him to feel like he's walking on eggshells because you don't want him to sacrifice that bravado, that that emotional leadership that he brings you, which is probably more valuable than anything he does. 
um, that's what defines him as a player. So Right. I think that's all going to be a part of a larger conversation between kind of the league and the referees and the players' union about just kind of improving the relations between refs. And I know there's a lot of feeling um, that, that they just feel like they're being disrespected, that guys are arguing too much, that it, you know, that it isn't uh, so-called like it was in the old days. Um, there was a lot of talk, remember, uh, maybe about a month ago about the release of those two-minute reports and how, um, you know, it, it, like why, it, I think even Durant said, like, you know, has, has yeah. said that's BS, why throw the refs under the right. bus like right. that? I mean, there's enough issues already that, that players think that fouls are, they're getting, you know, foul calls when they shouldn't and that sort. So this is kind of just accelerating um, the, 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 that dynamic. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they just kind of take a le- another look and another go at just trying to, ha- how can we improve? And why this? is this such a big storyline? I think it's such a big storyline league wide because it centers on the Warriors. I don't think I don't think that we would be having these conversations. I don't think the league would be saying we need to address this. We need to have a meeting during the All-Star break. We need to meet at, you know, Players Association headquarters in Manhattan. You know, I don't think that those conversations would be happening if it wasn't happening with the Warriors and it wasn't happening on national te- television with really high-profile players, which is what's happening. And the Warriors, you know, we talk about Draymond all the time, but, you know, Draymond is just a symptom of a, of a larger problem. The Warriors as a team have really struggled with this stuff, uh, including Steve Kerr. Um, the Warriors have 46 technical fouls on the season um, behind only Oklahoma City and Phoenix. Um, and then their, their nine ejections are six more than the next closest team. So they have nine ejections. The next closest team has three. And how many does Kevin Durant have? And Kevin Durant, I think, has four? Something like At that? At least three, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, Durant and... and uh, I want to say Durant and... Durant and, and Draymond have the vast majority of those. And then I think Steph was ejected once and Sean Livingston was ejected once. And I think the rest are KD and, and Draymond. Right. So it's 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 a tricky thing to analyze because yes, part of it is it, it goes deeper than just their emotional outbursts. It goes into the whole dynamics of why why this is you know happening now and why how different the the, the refereeing is this season as opposed to last seasons. There's the whole there's been a whole changing of the guard with officials in the past couple of years, all the officials that I'm sure you got to know covering mm-hmm. the league retired just within the past couple of years, guys who had real relationships with the players who were well-respected. And in those days they could have real conversations on the court without worried, worrying about necessarily getting teed up. Whereas this new crop of referees, they're, they're much more apt to just throw up the hands and, and give you a T if you say anything, which has been a tough adjustment. Yeah. Um, you know, but you also have, you know, it's the evolution. You've got a new crop of players that are coming in as well, um, kind of being brought up in a very different, um, I don't want to say culture, but it's just, you know, just Instagram and Twitter and all of that. It's just, it's it's a lot more out there now, right? Um, you have, uh, you know, players' reactions or whatever, and it's a meme all of a sudden. So I just think that the whole environment has changed a little bit around that. No, it's been, it's been a lot. Yeah. It's been a lot. And you will not find, I mean, there's <laughs> really, when it comes to officiating, every... 
fan of thinks their team is getting hosed. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's across the board. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely true. Um, a hundred percent true. But there, there have been a couple of gr- egregious calls the past couple of days, like the the one the other night with with Russell Westbrook where he slipped and fell, and they yes, they called a foul on the Warriors. It was like no one was even near him. Um, was, Did you see the the look on Russ's face too when he looks back? He's like, really? <laughs> even Russ, who doesn't right. you know admit much, admitted after the game, like, yeah, that was that was weird. Um, but you know, the Warriors finally last night had a little bit of an awakening. Um, they had been toiling through probably the roughest four game stretch of the season. They went one and three, and in that one win, they still committed twenty five turnovers against a bad Sacramento team. So it wasn't like that was a good win. Um, they looked bad really in all four games, got blown out at home on Tuesday by Oklahoma City, Weren't re- didn't really ever have a chance in that game. That was the first time trailing from start to finish in a home game since 2012. Um, so, And then they come back on, t- on Thursday, and they're playing a Dallas team that's without Harrison Barnes, who's their best player right now, and they struggled – you know, much of the game, it was tied at halftime, but finally you saw that third quarter run and then finally build some distance and completely shut them up, shut Dallas down in the fourth quarter and, and win 121-103. It wasn't a great game, wasn't a great win, but it was, I think, what they needed. They needed just a convincing win to get their mojo back a little bit, even if it was against a bad team. Now they host San Antonio tomorrow, which will be interesting. San Antonio has been through a lot this season. Kawhi obviously right. missing most of the season, yet they're still third in the West. I think people forget that. I mean, they're still they're better. They have a better record than teams that we've talked more about, like Minnesota and Oklahoma City. Right. Um, you know, because they're San Antonio and they just do what they do, and it doesn't matter. Yep, kind of can never count them out. So I'll be curious to see what happens tomorrow. Uh, I'm not. I'm not 100 percent convinced the Warriors are out of their doldrums yet i don't i'm not 100 percent convinced that they've solved their problems and one, i think yeah. san antonio could expose that if that's the case yeah one good half is essentially what they played yesterday um you know it's i think that the upcoming all-star break more than anything will give them uh you know we have obviously four warriors participating in various uh events and the all-star game um itself but a break mentally just from, yeah. you know, they've been in the stretch where they're playing every other day now for a, right. a better part of the last week and a half. Um, and it's just, okay, I it's they don't get the full weekend off, but they don't have to go through the same motions of shoot around, game, practice, this and that. It, it is They can kind of take a break. They're going to be with, around with their friends around the league and such. And I think that that is probably what's going to help the key guys the most. Yeah, definitely. I think... I mean, a lot of the guys are are going to Hawaii. They're going to Cancun, and even the guys who are gonna be at the All Star break are gonna have a couple of days. And I know that those four All Stars are making a concerted effort to limit their obligations as much as possible. As far as I know, most of those guys are gonna be not really doing much beyond playing the actual game. They're mm-hmm. gonna do the media availabilities. They're gonna do the game, but beyond that, they're gonna chill because mm-hmm. I think they need it. I think uh, and that's why I thought last night was an important game because the the reality was they it's so epically obvious how much they need the all-star break right now but as of entering last night they still had you know four games left until the all-star break they still have three games now left until the all-star break and 
you need to you need to get through this. You right. know, you don't want to enter the All Star break on like a one and six skid. <laughs> so, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do the next couple games before the All Star break. We will definitely reconvene next week, probably uh, when I'm down in LA uh, covering the All Star break. Um, so it'll be a lot of fun. Until then, stay locked and loaded. Uh, we're getting. Are, are we on iTunes yet? No, we are getting there. I've been told. I know. I have the same this thing every week. This is like the fourth this week, the, this week we've week done this. Um, yes, um, I'm, I keep being told we're almost there, and not just on iTunes, but pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. Okay, yeah. so I promise to not lie to you. We will be on there <laughs> very soon. Uh, stay locked and loaded. In the meantime, be sure to uh, listen to us on SFGate and SFChronicle.com. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is Thank You for Playing by Ryan Little, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. This show is produced by me, Janie, and Fernando Diaz. For more Warriors coverage, you can follow us on Twitter at con underscore cron, C-O-N underscore C-H-R-O-N, and Janie Hugh at J-A-N-N-Y underscore H-U, Janie underscore Hugh. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. <laughs>